All right, just get your Bibles open to Daniel chapter 5. Just, uh, I don't know if you're like me, but I, I can't spend a whole lot of time on social media or watching the news and, and start to think, what the heck is going on in our world? Are you kind of catching that? Like, and, and even more than just like this, this now more than a year-long pandemic. And, and no matter where you land on the spectrum of, of COVID, whether you're like over here on the, it's a government conspiracy, I think it's all made up, or you're way over on this side where you're like looking on Amazon for a hazmat suit, like wherever you land, you, could, you can at least say this. It's been a difficult year. The, the, so, so not only that, the, then you, you, you watch the Grammys and, and it's a quick tip from your pastor, do not watch the Grammys, all right? Don't, don't even Google it. It was just, it was horrible. Just, it was just this, this, man, am I, am I actually living literally in Sodom and Gomorrah right now? Is that, is that our culture right now? And I, I'm a guy who has three daughters and I want to raise three girls to know what it is to be strong, empowered, godly women. And they've got role models that are pointing them to something that does not look like strong, empowered women. I want in our church men to be raised up, to be godly, caring, bold men, but our world is putting such broken images in front of us as, as to what these look like. It's crazy. Even this past week, you see the tragic news of another mass shooting. So much heartbreak over the senseless deaths, but then even the, even the not just the senseless deaths, uh, deaths by this, this, this misguided young man, but, but also the sub-story in that story in Atlanta, that, that, that Atlanta being one of the largest cities for trafficking women. So these women being shot as they're in these massage parlors, tragic loss of life, then also looking beyond that going, man, tragic lives. It's a nutty world. And we can begin to ask in the midst of all this, man, where's my hope for this? Where's my confidence in this? That, then you come to the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 5, and we're going to read all of Daniel chapter 5, and, and here's what we're going to see. There, there is this king, King Belshazzar, throwing a party, and a party that honestly, if you think the Grammys were bad, like this party is beyond that, all right? And it's a party going on the same time that God's people are in exile, prisoners of war, and there's parties now happening. And, but here's the other thing. Those who are in power here in chapter 5, King Belshazzar in power throwing a party, the Babylonians, we're going to find out at the end of chapter 5, they're about to be taken over, that the Persians are going to come in and they're going to defeat that great city of Babylon. That's the chaos. So, so how do you survive? How, how can we have an unshakable life? in a world that seems to have no foundations. I mean, what do we do? Do we, do we go like Belshazzar? Are we like, you know what? This world is a train wreck. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Let's party it up, people. Or, or, or are we the ones who are yelling out, stop the party. You guys are done for. God is taking you out. Like, is, that, is that our response? Is that what we should do? Or, or as Christians, do we just hide out? Do we build bigger walls, stronger fences? Let's not engage. How, how do we respond? In the midst of this crazy world, where is our hope? How do we as Christ followers have a confidence at all? I mean, even saying that confidence, it's, it's so hard, isn't it? To, to, like, how do I grab a hold of, how do I have confidence, an unshakable faith? How do I have a, a, here's what I would say confidence is. Confidence would be a, a deep sense of identity and security. It's, it's having an idea of, of our significance. How, how do we get to that place of that kind of confidence? And we come to the book of Daniel. And the whole theme of the book of Daniel is this. 
God is in control. God's sovereign, providentially moving. And, and so when we look at our world today and it seems like it's out of control, we come to a book like Dan and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, no, no, no. I can rest. I can have a confidence knowing this, that God's hand is on it all. And in verse 1, it says this, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Now, who's this guy, King Belshazzar? We just finished chapter 4 where Nebuchadnezzar looked like he gave his life to, to, to the Lord, like he, he humbled himself. And, and now all of a sudden, chapter 5, we've got another king, King Belshazzar. Well, who is this guy? We understand there's a huge gap between chapter 4 and chapter 5. That Nebuchadnezzar has, has long died. His son came up, uh, uh, Merodach came, and he was the king. He was then killed by his brother-in-law after about four years of reigning. That brother-in-law then was killed, and, and his son Marduk took over. He reigned for about a month, a bit of a train wreck of a, of a king. And then this new king comes up, and his name is Nabonidus. Nabonidus is this king. Now, now here's who he is. Nabonidus is Belshazzar's dad. Nabonidus is king over Babylon, but he's moved out of the city of Babylon. There's a whole backstory there because of, of what he was doing. They said he, he decided to, to move out of the city of Babylon. He's down far south in Arabia. He leaves his son in charge. Okay, this is like, I heard someone say this is like every teen movie that was ever made. Dad's gone away, son's in charge. It's a party! Everybody come to the palace! All right, that's who this is. Now, here's a, just a side note. For years, critics of God's word would say this. There's nobody named King Belshazzar in any history books. We can't find him anywhere. The Bible's a joke. None of these stories are real. And for years, it was used to say, there is no guy called this. Your Bible's not true. Now, the cool thing is... Um, Archaeologists eventually discover these clay pots, these little clay uh, cylinders, and on them talk about this guy, about King Belshazzar, about how he was a king left in charge because his dad was away, like all laid out. And, and, and I'll, I'll just say this. Here, I say all that. Say, more archaeolog archaeological digs have found more stuff all pointing to who this guy is. And I would say all of that to say this. Listen, we can trust God's word. There'll be people who will come and go, no, 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 that's not true. That's and I just love how God in his sovereignty is like, well, let me just show again. Let me just let you find this piece of history. So here we are in chapter five. We're, we're about 30 years past where chapter four was. Daniel, now likely in his 80s. And, and here's what's amazing about this. Remember, chapter one and two, Daniel is taken as a prisoner of war as a teenager, and it, and it looks like God, his, his hand must not be on this. He, God must have forgotten about his people. Here they are, all these guys taken into captivity. But we read in Jeremiah, who was a prophet during Daniel's time when all that was happening, he says, no, 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 God's involved in all of this. He's at work in this. And you see in Daniel's life, you see God at work in it. And, and Daniel putting his hope and his confidence and his trust in the Lord in a trial that is almost unimaginable what he's going through. But he trusts, God, you're in control. Daniel 4 rolls around. Now Daniel's no longer a teenager. He's probably in his 40s during Daniel chapter 4, and God was still in control. That scene closes. A new scene comes up, and it's years later, and what do we see? This, this, this punk of a king's kid throwing a party, and you're thinking, okay, now God's no longer in control. This does not look good. But what we're going to see, Daniel shows up as an 80-year-old man, still trusting God, 
and God is still in control. In fact, if you hear Bibles open, look at verse 23. We see Daniel talking to this party boy king, and he refers to God as what? In verse 23, he says this, the God in whose hand is your breath. That's the foundational truth of this whole book of Daniel. That's, listen, the foundational truth for all of us here this morning. Now, as, as good church-going people, we're like, oh, no, I believe that. My, my breath is in God's hands. I, I, I totally believe that. He, he, it's a truth statement. I get. But here's my question for us this morning. Does that truth change us at all? I mean, do we live our lives so differently from the world because we say, no, 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 I understand something. God's in control. He has my breath in his hands. In this trial, I'm trusting that. In my success, I'm trusting that. In in the things I deal with in my school, I'm trusting that. In my workplace, no, no, no. God, you're where I find my hope. You're where I find my confidence. Or, Or do we find ourselves more like the party king here, trusting in ourselves, trusting in our power, trusting in our stuff? We have this contrast again between Daniel, a man who says, God, you have every breath I breathe in your hands. When my life is not rooted, when I search for confidence outside of that statement, outside of who God is, if my confidence is not rooted in the sovereignty of God, listen, our lives are on very shaky ground. Well, we're going to see here, not just that, not, our, not is my life shaky, but listen, when your hope is not rooted in God, your life is actually under judgment. God is going to crash that party, all right? If you're taking notes, long introduction, let's jump into it. Just two points this morning. Here's our first point is this, as God crashes our party, the party of our lives. Here, I want us to talk about this. What's the problem with self-confidence? The problem with self, so, so we're looking, where's my hope? Where's my confidence? Where do I find that, that identity, that significance? Our culture puts so much energy into self-confidence. How do we build self-confidence in our kids? How do we, and listen, I think the desire is good and right. The desire for confidence is good. Here's what I'm saying, though. The solution of seeking it in yourself is very flawed. And you see this frantic search for significance and confidence here in King Belshazzar. He's so desperate for confidence, for for significance. Look what it says, verse 2. So he throws this big party. Belshazzar, when he had tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So you're catching the picture here of what's going on. This is a a, a total debauchery going on at this party. Like, think about it. He says he's got all his wives and his concubines. All right? As much as you can drink, Let's bring these ladies in, and I'm telling you, they're not coming in just on their own volition either, right? That, that you want to talk about trafficking, that, I mean, that would be part of this year too. Now, here's what we know from history and even from the end of this chapter. He's throwing this party, but here's what's going on outside. Outside, the Persians have already, have already conquered his dad. 
The Persians have already, have already taken over and they're now on the march. They're coming up to the city of Babylon. They're at the walls of Babylon right now. So, so now you start to get there. There's this overwhelming sense that this is not just a regular party going on here. This is Belshazzar responding to his world around him collapsing. He's coming face to face with this fact. My foundation is crumbling. My mortality is exposed now and his confidence is being shaken. Everything that this party king, this this little king's son, everything that he thinks he has, all that he's achieved is about to be lost. And so he's throwing this huge party. He's saying, guys, I'm still the king. Look at me, look at all I have, all my wives, my concubines, my wealth, my palace. Let's celebrate me. And yet he's so insignificant. If the Bible hadn't mentioned him here in Daniel chapter 5, the world wouldn't have even known he existed until they find a few artifacts. He's so desperately grasping for for significance. He's grasping for confidence. But by looking to himself, he's completely lost. What's he do? He says, hey, go get the sacred things that we we stole from the temple in Jerusalem. Now, he's not thinking. Belshazzar's not saying, man, those things are really pretty. And and that would be some really nice cutlery and, and, and cups and plateware to have here. He's not thinking, how do I spice up my party? No, he's making a statement here. He knows what he's doing. He's drinking, saying, God is nothing. All this stuff I've accomplished, the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, the wood, this is what we worship because this is where my hope is. And in that moment, he's sticking a thumb in God's eye. Now, I started thinking about myself in this. I mean, how often do I take the sacred things of the Lord and just blow them off for things that I have. I mean, think about what the Lord gives us. God, God gives us his word. I mean, God gives us an opportunity to actually speak to him in prayer. God gives us this time to gather together to worship. I mean, it's sacred. And how quickly we could just blow it off. Or we avoid just spending time in the word. I'm going to find my hope somewhere else. I'm going to praise the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood. God provides salvation for us, that we were sinners far off from God under the deserving judgment of God. And God loved you so much that he sends Christ, his son, and Jesus gives his life for you so that in his death and glorious resurrection that you are no longer called a sinner but a saint. I mean, that is a sacred truth. Do we build our lives on that? That God's given you his spirit and and in that, if you're a Christ follower, you have his spirit in you and and given you gifts of the spirit. And yet, how often do we misuse those gifts for our own glory? How often do we not even use them at all? How often do we look over at other people and say, man, I wish I had what they had. I wish I was as good as they were at that. And these things here that... Belshazzar brings over. They're just cups, but they represent what God has given. Things that, that don't belong to us, but God's given them to us in his grace. 
things that are God's, and Belshazzar Shazar saying, I don't care about that. And in his self-confidence, what he's saying is this, I'm okay with my sin. I am so okay with ignoring God. I'm gonna trust in myself. I'm gonna trust in my stuff, in in my talents. I'm gonna trust in my friends. I'm gonna trust in my power. And so my question for us this morning, maybe as you hear about this and think about this, are are there areas in your life where there's evidence that you're saying, you know what, I think I'm doing the same. I don't have the fear of God in me about this area in my life. Here's a sin that I just don't care. Here's where I'm seeking my confidence, my identity, my significance, and I just don't care. Listen, when we do that, it's like we're partying while the palace is under siege. We're throwing a party in a house that's on fire. I think if we were honest with ourselves, we, we feel that at times, don't we? When we're grasping so hard for, for significance, for confidence, and it's so fleeting, it's not solid, the, the walls are falling down. Listen, it's a confidence outside of God. And when it's outside of God, it leads to this kind of frantic grasping. Trying to deal with the, the real fact that, wait a minute, in and of myself, I actually am insignificant. I love coming to this church. Our pastor tells us we're nothing, right? In and of ourselves, it's, it's true. And, and listen, we're trying so hard to deal with that fact. And the, and the more we come close to the edge of our mortality to see, man, this is where eternity begins. When you go to a funeral, when you start to, to see how, how quickly our world can turn upside down because of a tiny little bug, and you, and you see that, you go, wait a minute, And you either grasp for significance and confidence like Belshazzar or you seek the unshakable confidence of a life lived under God. Because here's what we're going to see. God does step into the party. Here's Belshazzar mocking God. Galatians says God will not be mocked. You will reap what you sow. God steps in to Belshazzar's desperate attempt for significance in and of himself. Look at verse five. You see God's action now. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. I think that's like saying so everyone could see it, right? And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed. And his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. There are some translations that translate it as his, uh, his loins gave way. You can do the math on that one, all right? He wet his robe maybe, all right? I mean, here's a guy so afraid. His confidence now completely gone. He calls for help to understand, hey, what does this writing say? Listen, here's the thing. He didn't understand what the hand was writing on the wall, but he knew this isn't good. Look at verse 7. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me the interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Why, why the third? Why the third? 
Remember, because his dad's king. He's just being placed as a secondary ruler here, so he can't give away the second. Remember in Daniel chapter 2 where Nebuchadnezzar said, you interpret the dream, you'll be second in the kingdom? Belshazzar doesn't have that right. He's the second. He'll, you'll be the third. You'll be under me, all right? Third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Again, then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. His color changed, and his lords were perplexed. Verse 10, they couldn't figure it out, so the queen. Now, this would probably not be his wife, because I already said his, wi his wives and his concubines are there. This could be, it could be Nebuchadnezzar's wife. It could be the queen grandma. It could be his, his dad's wife. This is the, the queen mom, basically. She rolls in. Because of the words of the king and his lords came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, and it says your father, it doesn't mean his dad, it just means like Abraham's our father, right? The lineage, it's just a way of talking in, in ancient culture. They'd say our father, the king, right? So that's what he's saying. Your father, the king, made him chief of magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show you the interpretation. A couple things I love about that. One, she calls him Daniel. It's like, yeah, we used to call him this name. I mean, Daniel's life must have been just so confidently on the Lord. He just lives in this. God is in control. They're like, we're not even going to call you that name we try to give you, because you are obviously Daniel. Side Note here as well, I love as the queen mom comes in, moms, 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 don't be afraid to step in, all right? Let me say this, students in the room, if your mom's stepping into your life and she's pointing out Jesus to you and she's pointing to the hope of the gospel, you need to listen to your mom, all right? Do, do, let, students, don't, let's, let's not be party boys here, all right? And be so self-confident, no, I got this all figured out, man, my parents are so lame. No, no, if they're pointing you to Jesus, let mom step in, all right? Okay, let's get back to the text here. Moms, you're welcome. Happy Mother's Day. All right. Now, you see the arrogance in Belshazzar, even as Daniel rolls in. Look at verse 13. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, you're that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. You hear what he's saying? Oh, you're just a little slave guy. You're one of the prisoners of war. Hmm. I've heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men and enchanters have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I've heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make it known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be third ruler in the kingdom. And you see the craziness here. Here is the king standing before Daniel, still shaking. His, his color is gone and he's still trying to look confident, like he's still the king in control. Like I'd say this, self-confidence is such a shame. Even the most self-confident person here in this room, listen, if your confidence is in yourself, in those quiet moments, you know it's a shame. That coolest kid in school, just as scared as you are, student. 
that, that big business leader in our community just grasping like you. The famous YouTuber or actor or athlete is just as lost and insecure. We see it here, this party. It's just such a picture of our culture, isn't it? Just this, this deep sense of insignificance, a, a desperate failure to try to find it, looking for, for confidence and, and, and significance in fame, in sex, in pleasure, in stuff, in power, in popularity, and all the while the walls are being breached. The city's lost. And so Daniel steps into all of this chaos to give Belshazzar a word of truth. Really what he's giving is this. It's a word of judgment, but he's actually saying to Belshazzar, let me give you something solid to stand on. Now, now let, me, let me ruin the end of the story for you, all right? Belshazzar did not receive it, okay? He did not respond. Look at verse 30. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow. Oh, wait a minute. Tonight we die. So busy striving, he misses his hope. He misses what Daniel says. He misses the word of God, misses his salvation. I could say this, that we can spend so much time looking at ourselves. We can spend so much time talking to ourselves and listening to ourselves. So much time looking for hope on social media, in, in other people, at work, at school, looking for confidence and significance. And all the while, the word of God sitting on our shelf. Trouble comes, walls are crumbling, and don't we so often run everywhere else? Not digging into his word, not on our knees in prayer, not gathering to worship, not listening to good counsel. In fact, let me give you the other side of this by an example of some people in our church. There are two women in our church battling breast cancer right now. The walls are being breached, right? And yet the confidence in these ladies is powerful. Not a confidence in physical healing. We're praying for that and they're seeking medical care for that, but there is a powerful confidence in them. You see it on their social media posts. You see it in their prayer requests. God is good. God has this in his hands. What are they saying? He holds my breath. Man, I'm watching them in awe. It's like, man, you have such a confidence. So let me ask you this, are, are you seeking the Lord for your hope? Because listen, God will crash your party. In his love, he will step in. And, and yes, we're about to read here, it, it's a, a, a announcement of wrath and judgment, but I want to let you know, listen, that, that judgment on sin, it's moved by his love for you that he crashes your party. God's crashing your party saying, listen, where you're going is destruction. This morning, where are you searching for confidence? Where are you landing for significance? Here's our last point. It's this. The unshakable foundation of God's confidence. Self-confidence will not cut it. It leads to destruction. But there is an unshakable foundation of God confidence, of significance in him. So, so how do we get there? How do, how do we get our lives there? Look, look at verse 17. Daniel answered, so he's been told by Belshazzar, listen, I'll give you a, a sweet robe, some bling. I'll set you up in power. <laughs> Daniel answered and said, verse 17, before the king, let your gifts be for yourself. Give rewards to another. 
Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. Do you see the confidence? This 80-year-old dude rolls into this party and he goes, keep your stuff, party boy. Just keep it. I don't need your stuff. I don't need your power. I don't need what you have to offer. You're not my hope. There's this calm confidence. Can you just picture, can you picture the, the chaos of the party? Just, just full of chaos, and in walks this calm confidence of Daniel. Doesn't fear what's going on. Doesn't fear the king at all. Listen, when your confidence is rooted in God, you don't fear what other people think of you. I mean, this is huge. Fear of man is so rampant in our culture. And let me say to those who are older and, and out of high school, and listen, listen, Peer pressure and fear of man is not just something students struggle with, right? I mean, it follows us. What will my friends think? What will these people think of me? And here's what that is. Here's what fear really is. Fear is this. What controls you? That's our fear. What is it that controls you? Will it be the word of God that controls you? Will you fear God or will it be those people around you? Do you fear people? Will it be your circumstances? Do you, do you fear what's happening? What controls you? The word of God or these other fears? I mean, you see it all through the Old Testament. You see the, the people of Israel. They're set free by the mighty hand of God out of Egypt. They're led through the wilderness. They get to the edge of the promised land. And what do they say? Oh, the people there, they're so big and strong. What controlled them? It wasn't the word of God. In the New Testament, Peter, Simon Peter, he follows Jesus for three years. He sees his power. He sees, he sees the, the love of Christ demonstrated and declared. He's like front and center to the power of God in Christ. But rather than being controlled by the word of Jesus on the night that Christ was betrayed, he fears a little girl. I mean, here you have Peter. He's the poster boy of the fear of man, right? And yet after he's restored, after he's forgiven, after he sees the resurrection of Christ and Christ restores him, he's now so enamored by this gift of salvation. He's so changed by the power of God. Now Peter says this in 1 Peter 3, 14 and 15. He says, he says, listen, when you're in trials, when you're coming up against struggles, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord. See what he's doing? I'm not controlled by people or things anymore. I fear the Lord. Who are we going to be controlled by? Will we be controlled by the word of God or the words of people? I mean, you can think, well, the, the reason I'm so beat down by the, by the opinions of other people is that I'm just not self-confident enough. Wrong! It's, it's not that you don't believe in yourself enough. It's that you don't believe in the reality of what God says about you. Belshazzar is throwing this huge party and he's saying, hey, people, look at me, love me, respect me. And our souls are being crushed under that kind of weight. But there is an unshakable foundation for your identity, for your confidence. If you've surrendered your life to the King of Kings, if you have no fear, but I just want to honor the Lord, you have a deep confidence when you know what Jesus says about you, when you know who he is. 
And the only way to know if you're significant or not is to go to the one who created you. Hey, what is my significance? If, if you're just an accident, right? If you weren't created, you have no significance at all. You're pointless. But if you're created, you go to the creator and, and you find out, who am I? And the creator says this, that if you've given your life, if you surrendered your life to Christ, that, that if you're in Christ, you have been bought and sealed by the Holy Spirit. You're a new creation. You no longer live, but Christ now lives in you. And the, the devil's gonna work so hard to make sure you don't know who you really are. And he'll do everything he can to, to draw you away, to keep you from living out of your new identity in Christ. And, and he succeeds in it when we allow other identities, other people, other circumstances to define us. And we wear these false identities all the time these labels we carry around with us. Maybe it was your parents who put a label on you. Maybe it was a teacher growing up who put a label on you. Maybe it was a church who put a label on you. Maybe it's friends you know who put a label on you. And Satan attacks us by convincing us that we're not who we are in God, in the gospel, what the gospel declares about us. And if the enemy can, can convince you that you're unwanted, that you're alone, that you're alienated, that you're dirty, that you're a failure, that you've got to strive for everything, you that, that listen, he wins. If, if he convinces you to put your hope in, in a person, to put your confidence in your job, to put your, your confidence in a position or a hobby, listen, he wins. In fact, I love how 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5 say this. It says this, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Listen, not that we are sufficient in ourselves. We're not self-confident, he's saying. Not that we're sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency, our confidence is from God. I mean, do you see that? That's where we have this hope. That's where our confidence, our identity, it's what we have in Christ. So if you're like, man, I don't have any confidence, it's not because you haven't mustered up the confidence in yourself, but because, because listen, listen, we have confidence when we rest in Jesus Christ has purchased for us our confidence. Listen, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, his defeat of your sin and yourself. Listen, it's nothing you've done that, can, that can, can get that reward. It's only by resting in what he's done. So no matter, no matter what else somebody else says, no matter what else you believe about who you are, no matter what else you've been taught, your identity in Christ is solid biblical truth. And in our culture, we're so quick to put labels, whether they be labels that are, that are hard, tough labels to wear, or even just labels that, oh, you're the athletic one, oh, you're the pretty one, oh, you're smart, or you're funny. Listen, you're not the label that somebody gave you. In Christ, you're an accepted child of God. In Christ, you're a citizen of heaven. In Christ, you are chosen, righteous, complete, included, forgiven, anointed, and every time we remind ourselves of a label that someone else has placed on us or the world gives us, we give the enemy power. But the more you remind yourself, wait a minute, I'm under the Lord's rule. And you tap into resurrection power in that. And Satan's gonna do everything he can to distract us, to, to keep us focused on the wrong things, to keep us blind to the truth of who he, of who God really is, of, of his control, of his lordship over our lives. Why? Because Satan knows that if we tap into who 
Christ is as our Lord. As we come under his word and what he says about us, there's power in that truth. Keep reading verse 18. It goes on, it says, O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. What's he saying? He didn't earn any of that. It's by the hand of God. He gave him all that. And because of the greatness he gave him, all peoples, nations, languages trembled and feared before him who, whom he would, he killed and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. Whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. Listen, God stepped in and said, no, no, no. You're not building your confidence in this stuff. I gave this to you. This is not, you, you don't get to claim this stuff. And he moves from, from, from being just a king to being a proud king. So verse 21, he was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. Daniel again gives this picture of of what it means to be a God-confident person. And this, the, the opposite of that is this sinful, proudful way where, where Nebuchadnezzar is this self-worshipping person, but he, he eventually comes to a place we know where he goes, God, you're the one in control. I'm coming under you. I love how Daniel, you can see, who does Daniel have confidence in? Not himself. He's an 80-year-old prisoner of war but with this confidence in who God is. He speaks with such boldness. He goes, hey, hey, King Belshazzar, you never learned. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, he had to learn it. You have not learned it. You so miss this. Look at verse 22. And you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this but you've lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you and you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them and have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. This is the heart of sin right here. Setting yourself up above God. It's pure pride. And the response of God to this kind of pride, what's he do? His finger comes and writes on the wall. His, his finger, it's a, a picture of his power. It, remember in Egypt when God took them all out of Egypt, that the, the Egyptian rulers were like, it's the finger of God that's brought this destruction. He writes the Ten Commandments with his finger. It says it's this picture of God's power and judgment. Psalm 8, I love it. It says, when I consider the heavens, the work of his finger. King Belshazzar thinks, I'm awesome. God's like, really? Nothing. Verse 24. Then from his presence, the hand was sent and the writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Many, many, tekel and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. So he's saying, this is what it says. Listen to these words, he says. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. 
Now listen to those words. And, and yes, it's a word of judgment against this king, but, but we have to hear these words for ourselves. Listen, listen. Our days are numbered. Our lives are being weighed. And in the end, listen, in the end, all that matters is on that day of judgment when we all stand before Jesus. And here's all that matters. Will you stand under judgment because you put your hope and your confidence in yourself? Or will you receive blessing and forgiveness and righteousness because your hope is in Christ? The response this morning is this, it's repent. If, if your hope is not in Christ, if that's not where your confidence is, it's repent. Belshazzar did not repent. Listen, you can. This is for us. This warning is for us. Like Nebuchadnezzar was a warning for him, we can turn. We can turn. So what's it mean for us to turn? Real quickly, I would say this. How do we respond to this? Let's come under the word. I mean, let's be controlled by the word of God more than the opinions and thoughts of other people. Let's allow God's word to change us, to change our hearts, to change our families, to change my, my life at work, to change my life at school. Listen, listen, ask this question as you get into God's word, where is my fear? Is my fear in the opinions or the labels of other people? Is that where I'm letting to control my life or is, is, is my life being controlled by who Christ is? Listen, if you're wanting to build this unshakable foundation, you lean into that. Jesus, you're my king. You're my Lord. If that's where you are, then so, so how do we then go out as those kinds of people to respond to an upside down world we live in? How do we go talk to the world? Do we, do we bust into parties and go, stop it? Wipe the smiles off your faces because God's judgment is coming. I think Jesus gives us the answer in Luke 10, he's talking to his disciples and he says, go preach, go preach grace, heal the sick, feed the hungry, cast out demons. And then in Luke 11, Jesus casts out a demon, changes a person's life. And he says this, he says in Luke 11, I want you to know if I cast out demons, I do it by the finger of God. So that you know that the kingdom of God is at hand. Here's Jesus saying, listen, I do it by the finger of God, the power of God on display. And what's the power displayed in the New Testament? It's lives being changed by the gospel. And so listen, the finger of God is a finger of judgment on those who reject Jesus, and it's a finger of hope for those who respond. As the worst team comes up, here's what Jesus is saying to us, the church. He's saying, listen, the writing that God is, is putting on the walls of people's lives, the writing, listen, listen, it's you. He's saying, I, I've created this, this community of people who, who are, have been radically changed, who, who find their significance and their confidence in me alone. So it changes us. It changes how we interact with each other, where there's forgiveness happens freely, where, where giving is sacrificial. And the kingdom of Satan's conquered because God's kingdom is coming down. So, so if you know Christ this morning, where's your confidence? Is, is your life being written on the walls of those around you where you live with such God confidence? Where you love so freely, you, you, you forgive so quickly, you, you serve so sacrificially, you point others to the hope you have in you. Is your life being clearly written for others to see? Where you could say, I'm not self-confident at all, but my breath is in God's hands. He's my king. Would you stand with me? As you stand there, as we get ready to sing, even as you 
take a moment to just even recognize yourself breathing in and breathing out. And that breath right there, it's in the hands of God. The one whose word you heard this morning. So my question is this, is your life under his rule? Is there anything that God was pressing in on you even this morning where you're like, man, my hope is misplaced. My confidence is not in him. That he would say, make a move. You take the moment even right now to pray. To give that over to him. Say, Lord, I want to live as one whose confidence is in your word, in who you are, and what you say over me. I want to fear. I want to not be in control of those around me, of my world. I want to fear. I want to be in control of you. Let your control be what leads me and guides me. You'd make that determination even now. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you that um, you are where we find our hope. Thank you that you're a king that's so different than the kings of our world, that that Jesus, you gave up your glory, that on the cross you actually became insignificant so that we could, by receiving you, stand in faith, knowing that we are forgiven, knowing that our, our, our lives are in your hands, no matter the chaos we see around us. Lord, Lord, this is our hope in the wilderness. This is our joy in the trials. God, that, that you would help us even now to, to take this truth into our lives. Lord, that our lives as Christ followers would become a, a party, a feast of the real kingdom. That, that, that the community of us, that, that the church we're a part of, that, that the world looking in at us would say, I want to be a part of that part as we live our lives to give you glory. Lord, that's where our hope is. So wherever else that we're putting our hope in, God, may even right now as we sing, God, that we would, we would let go of those things. And we would stand in you. I pray this in Jesus' name.